century number 10 for Brendan Taylor. He's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada, we're talking about how good he is. And there it is. His 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, taken deep in Wigan. Glenn Maxwell celebrates here at Cole. He cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the DNet Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hi there, hello and a warm welcome to the podcast. Great to be back with you again. And I suggest that we get straight into the meat and potatoes of the show as always. This week we're going to be catching up with Ryan Bull, the... uh, well, I suppose current all-rounder of Zimbabwe, batting at number six or number seven, and at this particular moment in his career, doing an outstanding job in ensuring that Zimbabwe try and get to a decent total. Some fantastic hitting we saw against Bangladesh in particular. Uh, those magnificent shots where he walks outside the off stump and whips the ball over deep backward square leg with regularity. And of course, he's more than useful with his leg spinners as well. Don't forget the couple of wickets that he took in Zimbabwe's win over Pakistan in the second T20 international. Well, Ryan is going to be talking to us, uh, first of all, about his marriage proposal, his new shoes. And then, of course, we do get into uh, the real conversation when we start talking about his career and what he helps to achieve as well. So uh, let's first of all hear about Ryan telling us about what it was like to go down on bended knee and propose to his partner. Hi, Dina. It's good to chat to you again. Um, so basically, this weekend, I decided to take the plunge um, and ask my better half if she could marry me. Um, it was... <laughs> I think it was probably the easy part. I think the hard part was asking uh, the parents for permission um, a couple of days before. Um, so I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday. I had to go and speak to the parents and give them, you know, ask for their blessings. Um, so now that went all smoothly. And then, yeah, we decided to go out to um, a place called Aberfoyle. Um, it's fairly close to Nyanga. Um, and on the way there, we went to a place called um, the Skywalk, which is near far and wide. Yeah. Um, it's basically a bridge that goes over um, the Imtirazi Falls. Um, so, yeah, it's very high, <laughs> very daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I thought, you know, what better place with a, with a great view and, a, and something that's a bit, you know, <laughs> it, it coincides with going, you know, taking the plunge sort of yeah. thing. Um, so, no, I dropped the knee um, on the bridge and... Uh, Fortunately, she said yes. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think she really had an option being on the bridge. <laughs> I don't think she was going to say no. Um, but no, very, very happy, um, special moment in my life. Um, and then we obviously went off to Aberfoyle and had a very good weekend um, with my mom. So, no, very happy. You certainly did a better job than I did because uh, how I had to propose, well, I proposed to my, what was in my girlfriend. I'd had a few beers and we were going to a braai. And I thought I'd maybe just have enough Dutch courage after a few beers to ask her. So I went down on one knee in the bedroom and asked her, you were considerably more romantic than me. But uh, yeah, that whole asking the parents, but it can be a little bit daunting and scary, does it, can't it? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have any Dutch courage at the time, so I was all by myself. But no, it, it went well. <laughs> okay, that, and I suppose a very important question is, does your better half also like cricket? She absolutely loves cricket. Oh. Um, yeah, she actually used to go and watch a few Zim games, um, you know, long before I even 
uh, into the national fold. Um, so no, she knows all about the game. Um, she's very sporty herself. She yeah, she loves all things sports, and you know it's, it's been a really nice couple of weeks, obviously with the Olympics and all that going on. So you know, we've enjoyed our time at home, um, and yeah, it's been very good. That you know, it's very easy to communicate with someone that's on the same level. So mm, no, very yeah, fortunate. That, that's true. And um, I suppose the next question everybody would like to know from you is how are the new shoes. <laughs> the shoes are fantastic, Dino. The shoes are fantastic. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I must say a big thank you to to Puma India for sorting out um, myself and pretty much the whole team. Um, no, everyone's almost got a pair of shoes or two, um, and the guys are happy. They're on the field. Um, yeah, it's, it's it is kind of quite a big stress reliever, um, not having to worry about you know forking out um, money, you know, every couple of months for a new pair of shoes. So. The guys are very happy um, and, yeah, it's a bit of security at the end of the day. They don't have to worry about that. So very fortunate. Okay, so just tell us a bit about that. How did the whole shoes thing transpire? Because I listened to a tweet and, uh, yeah, obviously a whole bunch of stuff happened after that. Fortunately, it ended very nicely for everybody. But just just give us a bit of a background to those people who may be a bit confused as to us talking about new shoes. Um, so basically, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I was sat at home and I had um, a couple of pairs of, of, of spikes and I just thought, you know what, let me take a photo and, you know, kind of, you know, show people kind of what I'm doing, you yeah. know, what kind of goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I basically was gluing my shoes, um, you know, as as cricketers, you know, obviously at the end of a series sort of thing, you, you know, things deteriorate or break down and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's people might not realize it, but you kind of you do go through cricket shoes very fast, um, you know, especially being a batter and a bowler. You know, there's a heavy workload. So instead of, you know, buying new shoes, you know, every couple of series sort of thing, I was kind of gluing them. Um, and uh, yeah, I kind of just thought, you know, let me just take a photo and I'll put it on social media and kind of, it, it, it was kind of in a jokingly way, yeah. if you get what I mean. Yes. Um, but, yeah. you know, kind of still an insight as to actually what goes on. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously, you know, very happy that kind of Puma turned around and they, they said, you know, put the glue away, we'll look after you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, very fortunate that they've come on board um, and, yeah, very, very good timing. And not only you, but, uh, you know, the, the majority of the team as well, which is very important. Yeah, we've we've got pretty much, you know, I think almost 13, 14 guys um, that have got at least a pair, maybe two, even three pairs of shoes. So oh, that's wonderful. everyone's looked after. Wonderful. All right, Ryan, so let's talk a bit about you now. Um, I did a little bit of homework, as I normally do before having a chat, and I noticed that, one of the other sports you excelled in at school was squash. Now, this is no real strange scenario. I mean, I've interviewed Aby de Villiers and, and Dave Houghton, and they were very fine squash players themselves. What made you decide to pursue cricket over squash? Um, so, Dina, I think I kind of made the decision when I was about 17 years old. Um, I... I would personally say that I was probably a better squash player than a cricketer up until I was 17, 18. Um, and then, you know, I 
I'd, when I was 16, um, 15, 16, 17, I'd gone to a couple All-Africa Games um, tournaments. Um, and, you know, I did well um, finishing, I think, in the top seven in both tournaments. Um, and then I was playing against uh, the world number one at under-19s from Egypt. And he was also the world number 55. Hmm. And we had a good game. You know, uh, um, he beat me, but I, I, I kind of, you know, picked his, his brain a little and I kind of, you know, was trying to get the ins and outs. He was obviously world number 55. Um, he had been on, you know, the, the, the professional world tour for a couple of years. And I, I just picked his brain and I said, you know, kind of, you know, how does it go financially? How, how does this work? You know, going from tournament to tournament. And ultimately, um, you know, my passion was always with cricket because... I think more so that's a team game. Um, in as much as you have individual performances, it's a team game. So when you win, when you lose, you know, you're celebrating or, you know, with not just the 11 guys, but the whole squad sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas when in squash, you kind of, you win or lose, it's, it's on your own account. You know, you kind of, you finish a match and that's it, you're done. Um, so it was, you know, after that discussion with him that, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, you know, taking up professional sport, it's a job. Um, and unfortunately, you know, kind of hearing what he had said about squash and stuff like that, there wasn't really a future with squash um, unless you, you're in the top, you know, 20, 30 in the world. Yes. Um, so I I made the decision that year, instead of going to the world champs um, for squash, I went to the under-19 Cricket World Cup. Um, and I haven't looked back since then. Um, still to this day, I, I play squash. Um you know, passionately. I, I don't play it too competitively, um, but no, I still love it, and I, I do play it when I can, as I feel it's you know it's still obviously a very good form of fitness. But uh, um, ultimately, I think my passion was cricket and the team sport, so I don't regret the decision. Um, I still love the sport. I, I love pretty much every sport, but no, it was it is a sport that I I do really enjoy, and no, I'm glad I made that decision. One thing I've noticed is that on the field, you are extremely competitive, maybe even a bit feisty, but it's it's good to see a, a real competitive streak when you take to the field. Um, but off the field, you're pretty laid back, I would imagine. So how do you find that ability to switch on the competitive juices to really get into the face of the batter when you're bowling and fielding and, and also, you know, to stand your ground as a batter to when you cross that boundary line, whatever happens on the field stays on the field and then you sort of become a bit more <laughs> human again <laughs> <laughs> um do you know i think i'll probably um pinpoint it down to kind of probably my upbringing um the environment that i grew up in and the school that i went to um you know obviously growing up i have a couple of brothers um and we grew up on the farm um, and, you know, we obviously always had the, the maid and the garden boys, um, sons that we grew up with. So I was, I was one of the youngest out of, you know, the five and I, I kind of, you, you want to win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't play sport to lose. We play sport to win. Um, so being, you know, one of the youngest out of the group, I kind of had to stand my ground. Um, and then ultimately, you know, going to, to Springvale and Peter, I had a very good grounding. Um, you know, a very respectful and a very traditional school where, you know, we were brought up, I feel, with good values and, and everything. So, you know, 
I think ultimately a combination of, you know, my family, the upbringing, um, and also just being a very competitive sportsman at the same time to try and find that balance. It's always going to be a fine line, um, you know, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, you, as a sportsman, you have to back yourself um, to come out on top. So, no, I think, you know, you kind of got to do what you've got to do. Um, but still, at the end of the day, you still got to be a, a, a good gentleman, a good human being. Mm, so, yeah. I think finding that balance is important. And are you happy with the way that your game is progressing at the moment? I, I still feel in the longer format, I'd love to somehow see you bat higher up the order as opposed to number seven. You know, I mean, I understand that there are players such as Craig Irvin, Brendan Taylor and Sean Williams ahead of you. I, I understand that. But it'll be nice to see you slot in that, in my opinion, top three, maybe. You know, nice to always see a left-hander in the top order um, and, and where you can actually bat with the middle order as opposed to the lower order and then focus more on your bowling after that. So are you happy with the way that your cricket is progressing or would you like to eventually see yourself come up the order and focus more on batting as opposed to bowling? No, Dean, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, ultimately, I, I would prefer to be batting up the order um i think it's just a case of you know myself really entering the national team at a at a very difficult time um in terms of having you know a lot of the senior guys like brendan craig sean Sekunda around um and it's it's just it's not it's something i can really control it's just the timing of things um but you know i've i've, I've kind of you know understood my role in the team now having to be a middle order batsman um, and play the role all of you know trying to finish innings and stuff like that. Um, it's it's just the role at the time that I'm I've been tasked with and it's something that I've got to put my hand up and do. Um, but I think ultimately my passion would be to bat up the order. But it's the role that I've been given, so I'm going to try and fulfil that the best I can. Um, and then ultimately, like you said as well, just being able to to kind of be comfortable and also then focus on the bowling um, and ensure that we can contribute in all three aspects of the game. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of where we are at the moment. Um, and we'll just kind of see how things go in the next few years. But it is what it is. And, you know, I always just want to put, in, put my hand up and put some performances in for the team. You may have been a bit young, but I'm sure you'll still remember when Steve Smith made his debut for Australia way back in, I believe it was around about 2010, he made his debut as a leg-spinning all-rounder, so he batted at number seven and didn't really score a great deal of runs. But because Australia obviously were desperately trying to find another replacement for Shane Warne, which nobody would ever be able to do, Steve Smith had the responsibility of bowling quite a few overs of leg-spin. And, you know, eventually he did, with the retirement of senior players and also with good performances down the order, make his way up to where he is now. And I'm sure that that is something that is in the back of your mind as well. Yeah, 100%. I think you've just kind of got to bird your time. Um, and like you said, it's it's all about putting in performances and also the timing of, of you know, things within the team and the environment. Um, so now I'll just keep keep putting my head down, keep focusing on my game um, and work on all aspects uh, um, as much as I can to try and hone my skills in. Um, and when the time comes, I'll put my hand up and keep enjoying our cricket. Um, yeah. So a lot of Zimbabweans, Ryan, at the moment are crying out for a leg spinner. After the retirement and departure of Graham Creamer, 
there, there definitely seems to be an area where Zimbabwe are lacking now. There are one or two around, but unfortunately for them, they just don't seem to be consistently bowling well enough to be playing international cricket, which yeah. is a shame. But now you do have that opportunity of making that role your own, given the fact that you're playing in the middle order. Is is wanting to take wickets and bowling with aggressive fields, is that something that you would be wanting to do as well, to add another bow to the string? Or string to the bow, should I say? <laughs> um, Dean, I think it's it's something that I... Uh, when I first started off, I, I mean, you got to bear in mind, I, when I first started playing cricket, I was actually um, a seam bowler. Um, and it was kind of, you know, when I was like 17, 18, that I made the switch to trying to bowl leg spin. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that wasn't really... Um, you know, it's, it's not something that I've I've started off with from a very young age. So I'm still kind of, you know, learning the skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, almost every week I'm talking to Ish Sodi. Um, I've had a few chats with Stuart McGill and stuff like that. So leg spin's a craft that I think you can never stop learning. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's something that I will continue to try and get better at. Um, I think ultimately I, I'm not sure I'd, I'd try and be, you know, the guy that's, um, every game trying to bowl aggressively with, you know, tight and, and aggressive fields. Um, you know, leg spin, it, it kind of, on a day, and depending on the wicket, it, it you know, it might not be conducive for that. So, you know, having a defensive field could be attacking in a different sense. Um, so it's it's all about, you know, given the day, given the circumstances, um, you know, how can you contribute um, and you know, kind of what, what the lineup is in terms of the opposition. You know, some of them, they don't like leg spin, some favour leg spin. Um, you know, and then obviously you've got the difference of batting to left hand, uh, bowling to left handers or bowling yeah. to right handers. Yeah. So it all depends on the situation, um, the opposition, the conditions. There's a lot that comes into play. Um, but ultimately, you know, behind the scenes, I'm working very hard in the nets. Um, I'm putting the overs in. And, you know, I think with time it will come. Um, it's at least I, I'm a, I'm I'm happy and I'm content that I've got a good base and a good foundation. Um, I'm not really a mystery spinner, say to say to speak, <laughs> but you know I, yeah. I I do have you know decent control um, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I think it's just ultimately about time um, and just to keep working and honing on the skill to to master it because <laughs> leg spin is very difficult. I think mm-hmm. as every cricketer knows. Leg spins are obviously the, the most difficult um, art of cricket. So if I can master that, um, and like you said, I can put another um, string on the bow and I can help the team out, then, then I think we're taking steps in the right direction. Absolutely. And the fact that you're communicating with two very good leg spinners, Anish Sodi from New Zealand and Stuart McGill from Australia, and that they are sharing knowledge with you, I think is, well, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Um, we're going to talk more about the franchises that you played for and so on in a bit, but I'd just like to talk a bit about the way that you go about your business, batting at number six, number seven. It's incredible in the sense that you love to give yourself a bit of time, so you don't try and tee off from ball one. You give yourself as much time as possible. Then when you decide that it's now time to start upping the tempo considerably, it, it's phenomenal to see that your predominantly your boundary hitting areas are almost exclusively on the leg side. So your deep backward square leg comes into play. Your wide long on cow corner comes into play as well. 
uh, and you're not afraid to go outside the off stump and fetch balls and, and you know, pull them or drag them around into the leg side, regardless of whether the field is set for that or not. How hard do you practice at making that happen? Because that must be a bit of hard work as well. Dina, <laughs> um, I think, I think it, to be honest, it's something that's come very naturally to me. Right. Um, and I might, I, I might, you know, I'm hesitant to say it, but I think I might like to contribute that to the hockey and the squash that ah, I've kind of yes. played throughout my life. Um, so. You know, having the ability to generate that wrist action um, and like almost the whip, um, as we'd like to say, um, coming from hockey and squash, you know. So it's like you said, I think, you know, cricket as a, as a batsman, you kind of almost have to give the game its respect in, in, in terms of, you know, getting yourself in. It's, it's just very, very difficult to try and, you know, hit boundaries from ball one. Um, but sometimes the situation doesn't allow you to get yourself in. Um, so, you know, given the situation in the, in, the, in the the match, I would ideally like to get myself in and then start going from there. Um, but, you know, some, some days it's different. You have to go from ball one. Um, and that's something that we obviously try and practice you know, away from the matches in the nets and on the on the on the, the center wicket, we do a bit of range hitting and stuff. You know, trying to go from ball one. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it's similar along with leg spin. It's 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 an art that we're trying to perfect and we're trying to master. And you know, it's it's something that you know every team wants. Is they kind of want an Andre Russell or you know they they, they want a Glenn Maxwell or something where people can actually clear boundaries because you know if I can come in and I can you know, bring the run rate, the required run rate down, mm -hmm. or I can, you know, get an extra, you know, 50 runs off the last three overs, you know, that often can win games for teams. So people don't really, I think it's a very underestimated role that people, you know, are only re realizing now in the modern game, the value that the people batting at like number six and seven have, um, you, you know, they don't have the luxury of the people that are at the top of the order being able to get themselves in and score runs. Um, because obviously, you know, getting used to the pace of the wicket and the conditions. So it's a, it's a skill in itself, um, being able to, to play the finishing role and to score boundaries from the get-go. So we'll keep working on it. We'll keep trying to do well. And I'm sure you'll see me hitting a lot more balls to the leg side. <laughs> and you now hopefully I, we can bring some smiles and, and joy on the, uh, the fans' faces. Okay, so clearly you favour the leg side, brought about to the fact that you played a lot of hockey and a lot of squash, but are you are you keen to try and expand the repertoire and look to play between, for example, middle for an extra cover and, and try and go over the offside and straight down the ground, or is it just a matter of playing to your strengths and you know, saying, well, this particular theory works for me, so why try and fix something that's already broken? Uh, why, well, sorry, wrong way around, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Um, ultimately, you know, when 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 you're at the crease, it's a battle between you know the batter and the bowler. So you're playing a bit of a game of chess. So it, it all depends on kind of the field set that they have, and you know the, the position that I'm in. So it'll all depend. You know, if, if he's trying to bowl wide Yorkers on the offside sort of thing, he most likely will have the legs field the leg side field up. And, you know, then I can try and manipulate that side. Whereas when you might be trying to go short or something, I might actually give myself room on the leg side to right. try and hit him through the offside. So it all depends on, you know, the field setting and the death overs. It is it is a game of chess and it's, it's very interesting. Um, and when it works out, you can almost you can almost make the 
bowler kind of bowl where you want them to bowl. And sometimes it can become predictable. So that's when you're kind of thinking, okay, I know where you're bowling. So it's now it's a matter of execution of whether I can hit you over the boundary. Um, so sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. But ultimately, I think if you give yourself a bit of time, you can manipulate the field and then you kind of dictating terms. You don't ever want the bowler dictating terms. So, yeah, like I said, it's a, it's a fun game of chess. And, you know, you don't always end up on the top. Um, but when you do, it is really enjoyable. Sounds funny, us cricketers, we, we're talking about playing a game of cricket and then we use the term, it's a game of chess. We do have strange ways of, t- <laughs> of talking about this beautiful game that we love so much. But <laughs> t- tell me about um, your your contests, your tussles with the magnificent leg spinner from Afghanistan, Rashid Khan. He is a fine bowler, but out of all the Zimbabweans, and I mean, eventually he ends up getting whole heaps of wickets as he does against everybody who he plays. But of all the Zimbabweans, you seem to be the one in T20 format, that is to say, who reads him the best and who's able to to deal with him to a certain extent. He normally ends up getting four or five wickets at the back end. But what is your theory against Rashid Khan? What What is a theory that is working for you and not necessarily for the rest of the batsmen? I think ultimately it, it kind of boils down to having faced him probably a fair bit more than everyone else. Um, I obviously played in the T20 league there in Afghanistan. And, you know, throughout the last five years, we've we've played a hell of a lot of games against Afghanistan. And he's a good friend of mine. So I, I, he does have, you know, a few a few clues, um, a few reads where you can kind of um, tell, you know, what kind of delivery he is going to bowl. Um, it is very, very difficult. Um, and he is... He is aware of it, so he's constantly trying to change his, his reads and stuff like that. You know, it's manipulating in terms of changing his his grip. Um, you know, when he's running up, he's completely changing his his grip. So it's 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 very um, yeah, it's a very big challenge. Um, as he is a, a very very good bowler, and he's you know he's ultimately almost like a, a mystery spinner because guys really um, struggle to read him. Um, but I think the other thing that comes into play is, you know, kind of when the guy's bowling, I think people often tend to to play the bowler instead of playing the mm, ball. Yeah. So they almost give him a bit of more respect um, as, you know, something that he has done in the past or something that he's doing, you know, instead of just actually playing the ball on merit, you know, see ball, hit ball. So I think it's a combination of the two things. Um but he is a great bowler, and I'll give him all the credit he deserves. And he is making good waves in international cricket. But hopefully, I can impart some of my knowledge on some of our teammates, and we can, you know, probably improve on how we play him. Um, it is a challenge, but yeah, we, we as cricketers, we've got to step up, and we've got to be a little bit better. Um, yeah. Ryan, that's incredible. You, you talk about playing the bowler and not the ball. Now, Andy Flower, when he was really getting into the zone and when he became the world's number one test batsman, obviously, um, often spoke to his teammates and he said, guys, I see that you are, for example, if it's Sean Pollock or Shane Warne or whoever it was, you are you are definitely playing the bowler as opposed to the ball. I've seen a number of opportunities where you could have scored off him and you didn't do that. We've got to try and get out of the culture of, and we need to understand that he's a human being. He can bowl a short and wide ball. He can bowl a full toss. He can just be having an off day. But you guys are so wrapped up in the fact as that you are facing a certain bowler. 
um, as opposed to just realizing that he too can bowl bad balls or that you can be brave enough to innovate and maybe to try and hit him off his length. And the reason why I bring Andy Flower into the conversation is, have you ever had any dealings with him? Have you ever met him, spoken to him or anything of that nature? No, Dino, you you're 100% spot on there. Um, we are very guilty of, you know, often playing the bowler and not the ball. Um, firsthand, I haven't had any um, encounters or chats with Andy, um, but I have had, you know, several chats with Brendan Taylor, who's obviously very close with Grant Flower. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're kind of picking his brain. So, no, we we do have a lot of senior guys in our team um, that I kind of try and feed off and, and kind of, you know, chat to. And we spend a lot of time discussing all things cricket. Um, so it does help, you know, having those senior guys around. And that is kind of the role that they play in the changing room is that calming presence of, of how to deal with certain situations. Um you know, like like you're saying, having Andy in the changing room with the other guys back then, you know, letting people know that they, they're just humans, you know, they can still make mistakes and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, when you're playing your best form of cricket, you kind of see ball, hit ball. Um, and sometimes when you're not in the greatest of form, you are worrying about who's bowling and what ball they're bowling and you can get yourself in a bit of a pickle. So, yeah, you need to kind of have the clearest mind possible. Um because ultimately, you know, cricket's cricket's ninety percent mental and ten percent technical. So you've got to have that mental aspect um, all in check. Ryan, you played a couple of Test matches for Zimbabwe, and I'm I'm certainly hoping that you're going to be around for a very very long time in all the formats playing for Zimbabwe. But I want to take you back to a Test match, albeit an unofficial Test, but it was a four day day night encounter against South Africa. What was that like facing the quality of bowling that you did? Because while wickets were falling around you, you stood firm and you didn't make a great deal of runs. But what a lot of people, and certainly with me in the media box, uh, really admired about you is that you were the only one who seemed to be able to stand your ground and deal with Mornay Morkel and with the rest of the of the bowling attack under lights. I mean, what was that like? You know, I think I'd like to start off by saying that that was an extremely difficult experience. Um, facing that pink ball under lights um, uh, in those conditions was very tough. Um, the ball was moving all over the place. Um, fortunately, prior to that test match, we played a three-day warm-up game. I think it was a three- or four-day warm-up game against South Africa A, where we had guys like Dale Stain. Um, Timber Bavuma and a lot of you know the up-and-coming players that are now playing um, in the national side, and I managed to score I think a couple of fifties in that warm-up game, so it did put me in good stead. Um, but mentally, I kind of just said to myself, you know, look, I haven't played a test yet. This will be my debut. I've just, you know, got to be calm, got to be clear-headed, and you know, if you know, I play my natural game and I back myself and I get picked for, for doing what I do best, then, you know, the rest will kind of take care of itself. So I think I was just in a very good frame of mind at that time, um, you know, and ultimately I, I think I was really, you know, up to the task. And like you said, a few wickets and all that had fallen. So it was a tough period and situation when I came in um, and I managed to deal with that night period well. Um, and then went and gave my wicket um, 
away early in the morning when the conditions <laughs> are supposed to be at its easiest. So, you know, that just kind of sums up yeah, cricket. That's um, cricket. But yeah. no, like you said, I think I, I really do have a pa- big passion of playing cricket for Zimbabwe and I would like to play for a very long time um, given the opportunities. So we will just keep putting our hand up and keep putting the right foot forward. Yeah, absolutely. That that test match, unfortunately, only lasted, well, it was less than two days, mainly due to, as you rightly say, that pink ball and the lights. But were the South Africans a bit, what were they like in terms of chatting with you afterwards? You know, did they, unfortunately, there's been a bit of a, reputa- a reputation over the years of South Africa being a little condescending towards Zimbabwe in the test arena. Was that the case again, or did they have good conversations with you after the test match? <laughs> I think, you know, we kind of were even having conversations during the test match. Right. It was obviously, you know, kind of one of the firsts, you know, it being under lights, being a pink ball um, and it being four days. So we were all kind of, you know, trying to suss out the situation, get used to it. And it was it was very funny. We were standing at slip and the cock was just telling us, he's like, guys, I can't even see this ball. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, no, we did have a bit of a chuckle. Um, and it was, yeah, I, to be honest, I think a little bit we'll have to, we'll have to change in terms of, um, you know, trying to perfect the format and the idea of it. I think there's good intentions and good ideas around it, but I don't think it's quite perfected yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but time will soon tell. Um, you know, obviously straight after that test, we were, I think, watching New Zealand um, play. I think it might have been India or something. And then they were bowled out for like 60 or something. So, yeah, I, I think we'll soon we'll soon find out, you know, kind of what the, the, the end result is with the pink ball and the day nights and stuff like that. But we did have a few chats with the South Africans during the game and after the game, albeit not really lasting very long, but <laughs> we did have a few chats. And I think the chats were more, you know, kind of um, revolving around the actual conditions and the, the structure of the game rather than, you know, just getting to know each other and talking on a personal level mm, yeah. Um, yeah. due to the fact that we didn't actually spend too much time um, out there together but no it was it was a good experience it was a learning curve and you know lessons were learned and I think we'll go forward from there. Ryan tell us about your experiences playing in the various leagues around the world so you played for the uh, Chittagong what are they called the Chittagong Vikings I think they are um, in Bangladesh um, and this one catch that you took my goodness me it was one of those steepling well you can describe it you took the catch tell us about that catch that you took and how much did you enjoy playing in the Bangladesh Premier League that must have been quite fun as well um, yeah so playing well, I was playing for the Chattagram Challengers and the Chattagram, BPL yeah. um, and it was the very first game of the tournament I was fielding a point and um, Keswick Williams, the West Indies bowler, was bowling to Mohammed Shazad, who was the the wicketkeeper batsman for Afghanistan. And as he does, he he threw his bat very hard at the ball, um, and he got a, a big top edge kind of over point. So I was running backwards, um, and you know, kind of the ball was kind of you know almost dying away from me. Um, so I just threw myself at it, and you know, managed to to get it to stick and yeah, that was a very, very good catch. Um, so no, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, you know, all of the games that I, that I did play in um, and the whole period of the tournament, you know, we had so many, you know, um, 
experienced uh, players from different countries in our team. We obviously had Chris Gale, Lendl Simmons, Liam Plunkett, um, you know, Asela Gunaratna. There were there were several others as well. Um, but learning from those guys, chatting to those guys, playing cards every evening, um, playing snook every evening, you know, getting to know them on a good personal level and chatting all things cricket for, you know, the period of I think it was four or five weeks. You know, it was very, very good, very humbling, um, you know, to kind of speak to the people and know that they're also humans at the end of the day. They're not just these, you know, big personalities and mm. stars that you see on the TV. You know, they've also got, you know, a great life uh, outside of cricket. Um, so, no, that was very good to know them on that level. And still to this day, we all on our WhatsApp groups and we still chat. So, no, it was one of the, the best experiences, I think, to date that I've come come across. And, yeah, I've, I've, I've tried to, to take in all of those things that we learned over that period and, you know, implement that into my cricket and my game now. So hopefully we will keep getting these opportunities to play in these leagues. Um, and I feel, you know, that's kind of the stepping stones for us to get better and better. Um, I think you've obviously seen the improvement of Blessing Mazarabani, obviously having played in England and then playing in the PSL um, to now putting on some great performances for Zimbabwe. So I would like to see, you know, a lot of us um, Zimbabwe cricketers get those opportunities where we can, you know, put ourselves out there, put our brand of cricket onto the stage um, for the world to see and, you know, kind of keep doing well. It's it's, it's obviously very difficult being from, you know, what, what the world kind of deems you know uh, not as a good cricket nation as the likes of India Australia and stuff like that so it is very difficult for us to get those opportunities but when we do get them we try and take them with both hands um, and you know kind of use it to our advantage because we've obviously seen what it does to the brand of cricket that people are playing so it's good um, and hopefully it keeps coming. Because ultimately, Ryan, what it does then is it when you can impart that knowledge, it's not only good for the game of Zimbabwe cricket, the national team, but surely that also hopefully eventually will um, strengthen and improve the state of domestic cricket, which isn't appalling, but it's not at its greatest at the moment. So it'll be good to see the domestic cricket in Zimbabwe strengthen, be strengthened considerably as well by you being able to play you and the rest of the players being able to play in various leagues around the world, wouldn't it? Yeah, you, you, you're spot on there, Dino. I think ultimately the, the, the whole group of national players, are, if they're excelling and they're going forward, you know, you're kind of bringing the rest of the structure along with you. You know, if you have a good domestic structure um, and your, your national team is moving forward, then I think everything goes hand in hand. So... Ultimately, you know, we would obviously like to play regular cricket and and, and good regular cricket, you know, not just going through the motions. Um, I think that's key as well. Um, so, like I said, I think it all goes hand in hand and hopefully more opportunities um, can keep coming our way. So we're going to conclude, Ryan, but I'm going to ask you a question, which I know is probably a bit of a tricky question due to COVID and, and <laughs> everything like that being around. But I'm going to ask you anyway, if you and I were to have a chat in two years time is there any COVID or everything aside but just the focusing on cricket and so on is there any personal milestones you would have liked to have achieved which would benefit the progression of Zimbabwe cricket is there something do you have any certain uh, goals that you would like to achieve in a certain period of time 
you know, hopefully that discussion in two years we can have over a over a beer or something like ah, that yes, or please. a glass of wine. Um and hopefully we'll be celebrating um Ryan Bill being in, you know, the top ten all rounders in the world in either a T twenty or ODI format. Um that's a goal that I've set myself in the last twelve um to eighteen months. Um and I'm trying to put my foot in the right direction uh, to achieving that. Um so like I said, hopefully in two years we can have a beer and celebrate myself entering the top ten in, in all rounders. Um so let's let's write that down and see if we can get to that goal. <laughs> You're listening to Dean at Stumps, hosted by Dean Duplessis. Oh yes, fantastic stuff then by Ryan Bull bringing the podcast to an end. Just a reminder, maybe perhaps you'd like to continue to spread the word that the Dean at Stumps podcast is indeed available on all the preferred podcast apps. So uh, your Apple podcast, your Spotify, Overcast, Downcast, Pocketcast, anything that has a cast and that involves a pod. It's uh, (laughs) pretty much available there. Thank you very much indeed for listening to the show. It's been an absolute joy and pleasure uh, being with you. And uh, I'll be back again very, very soon with another fantastic interview. But until then, please continue to stay safe. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.